Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. Well, last week I introduced the concept of our interview this week, and we are so excited to have Corey with us in the studio. We have a lot of things to unpack. We will not get through through them all in one session for sure. And we'll definitely have to have Corey back for a book review because as you'll hear today, we've read a lot of the same books and have a lot of the same affinities for uh, some unique seminal authors who really paved the way in some of the studies that we're looking at and really living through right now today. So Corey, so great to have you with us today in the studio. Thank you. So happy to be here. Why don't you start off by telling us just a little bit about your family, your background, where you came from? So I was born and raised in San Diego. Uh, I have no concept of actual weather because all I've ever known is the sun, <laughs> a little fog, <laughs> some sprinkling sometimes. But um, uh, yeah, I grew up here. I have two sisters. Um, as a child, experienced quite a bit of divorce and transition in my own life. So when I got married 12 years ago, I was just super passionate about making sure that we built a strong family. So my husband and I have been married for 12 years. Uh, we have three kids. My daughter is nine and our boys are seven and four. And I've been a stay-at-home mom for the last seven years. Prior to that, I did a lot of work in a preschool environment, special education, and autism intervention. Amazing. I know you and I talked about that family of origin piece. I know I, I've shared before with our listeners that I grew up in a home where we had, my parents were married and divorced seven different times, seven different people. And just that fracturing was such a, a jarring, had such a jarring effect on my childhood. And so when we got married in, in in 1990, we actually, um, our pastor had a stand at the front of the church and cut the word divorce out of the dictionary mm. that we had a clear awareness of, um, you know, of the commitment that we're making for a lifetime. Well, so Corey, your family, you guys were a good church going family before this season. And, you know, a lot of families have looked back and realized, wow, once I got into a parent directed education movement, which we talked about last week on the show, if you missed last week's show, be sure to go back and hear a little bit about that intro. But a lot of families have said that, wow, they look back in the rearview mirror of their lives and they realize there are so many things that we weren't doing as a family before that now we see as crucial to our not only survival as a family, but to being able to thrive as a family. How would you say that homeschooling has changed you, your children, your family dynamic? Yeah, I would say we uh, we were just doing what we had always done. Um, my husband and I are both educated in the public system. I went to a state university, um, never knew any homeschoolers, always thought they were kind of like fringe people that just kind of did life a little bit different. It really wasn't appealing to me at all. Um, and so I think we were just very comfortable doing what we had always done. Um, there was nothing really standing out in our kids that made us think that we were doing anything wrong. Um, I would just describe us as very sensible. We were very conservative in terms of media exposure. We were certainly more conservative than many of our nearby friends and family, which I think gave us a salt, like a false sense of pride that like, well, at least we're not doing that, you know, and yeah, we were just kind of plugging along. Um, but I think if I'm honest, there were many nights I went to bed wondering 
like what was missing. I could just sense that there was something missing about my connection with my kids. And so when we started homeschooling, that's really what healed first, um, painfully and slowly with a lot of tears and a lot of faith that it would get better. But just having to really face what nine years of parenting separate had actually done to our relationship with our kids. And I've said it a million times. It's not that it was bad. It's just that it wasn't very deep. And so we spent so much time collecting our kids back from where they had been all day, um, trying to reorient them back into family life. And then it was dinner time, and then it was bath time, and then it was bedtime, and we got up and did the yeah. whole thing all over again. So I would say homeschool for us has has realigned our relationships and has shown us where our attachments needed to heal over and over and over again. Um, and that, that I think has been the biggest shift. So we now actually value our family time. We know what to do with our family time. I think yes. before we would, we'd have an empty afternoon and we're like, okay, what do we do for the next four hours, you know? And it was easier to turn on the TV, um, to be honest. And so now we know what to do with it. Now we know to get the Bible out. We know to get the art materials out, to go for a walk. Um, We just introduced Nerf guns into our house. So maybe we have a Nerf tournament for three hours and everybody has a great time. Um, So I would say that's been the biggest shift with homeschool is it's really reoriented us to one another. That is so powerful. We talk a lot on the show about misattachments, misattunements, and how we'll see so many parents and children who are out of alignment with one another because they haven't spent that time together. Exactly what you're describing is kind of like the American crisis where Mm -hmm. kids have been away all day, six, seven, eight hours, and then some of them sports after that. And I think Josh McDowell said the average amount of time that a kid spends with his dad every day is 15 minutes a day, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're being indoctrinated in all these other arenas. And there's just not time to unpack all of that and to convincingly rewire them, you know, in their thought process do you recall a singular moment where everything shifted for you where the lights kind of went on for you what happened yeah we had started we had made the official decision to homeschool last august um at first it was after covid when we realized that uh video school was going to be the norm starting july um we said you know i said i I can certainly do a better job than zoom school so we'll at least do that until schools open up i had that that much confidence um And then we had a really rough six weeks of me trying to just copy what everybody else did, trying to wrap my head around what this was, trying to adjust to my new role as a homeschooling parent. And I read this book that described tea time in her house. And so she just described how she would make a pot of tea and she would lay out a bunch of books and a bunch of coloring and whatever. And her and her kids would just come around and kind of feast around good literature and literally hot cups of tea. And I thought, well, what I'm doing is not working. So let's just try that. And we spent that first week, and that's really all we did is in terms of homeschool. And I, I could not believe what was happening. Like we would sit and I would ignore the laundry and I'd make sure my phone was off, like eliminate as many distractions as I could. And I would go around the table and just make really good eye contact with my kids. I'd come around them and just squeeze them on the shoulder for no reason. Physical, uh, physical affection was a very uh, lacking thing in my childhood. I was not held a lot. Um, And so I have to admit, I have to tell myself sometimes, go grab your kids. It's not an instinct for me. So in that those tea time moments, I would make sure I would squeeze them in closer to me, frankly, than I wanted to. Like I would hold them close um, and we would just talk about books. And I watched everybody kind of just melt a little, including myself. And I didn't know it then, but now I know our attachment was healing in that time. And it was so important. And, you know, what I love about God is he doesn't discipline us harshly. It was a discipline I needed, but it was so kind. And the Holy Spirit just kept nudging me 
and kept saying, keep going, keep going. And it was, I was getting just enough feedback from my kids that I could take a deep breath and say, okay, we'll do it again tomorrow. And so we did that for about a month um, in and out of all of our little activities. When we were home, we did tea time and my kids asked for it almost every day, craved it. And now um, we still do it like twice a week, but we don't need it as much. Our, our relationships have healed so much and the attachment has just been so beautifully restored that when it's time for us to do fractions, it's we just do fractions. Nobody's yeah. crying and freaking beautiful. out because everybody feels secure. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. What a powerful <laughs> testimony. I just think of all the parents that would be so freaked out by the concept of, you know, some of the some of the questions we get over and over and over, are, you know, they're very neurotically, you know, neurotic questions about academia. You know, mm-hmm. what if we don't get through all this? We did five hours of math today and we didn't get finished. And I mean, just this pushing, pushing, pushing for this kind of false sense of excellence, this idolatry of education mm-hmm. in the traditional sense that it really has to be broken down. And, and you know, Chia and some of the other great homeschool organizations at the state level always say, reset, you got to reset, you know, focus on the reset. And that's really what you guys did on your own. You got that vision. I remember you sharing that with me and it was just so powerful to see the transformation in your life and the lights go on and the freedom Mm-hmm. That's something that most of our parents really, really struggle with is that freedom. They have never experienced freedom before. They've been told where their kids will show up, who's going to teach them, what books they're going to use. They've never had to buy a book for their kid. I mean, they've never had to read a book to their kid. A lot of them have just really you know, sent all of that work out. We'll talk about that in the book, obviously outsourced. They've outsourced their kids. Mm-hmm. And so you know, awakening to this idea that there could be, and it seems so you know, it seems so logical and obvious that we should have that attachment relationship with our children and that we should be able to found that in obviously biblical principles as Christians. But, you know, George Barna in his studies over and over, State of the Church Address, he, in the last one, he said that only 6% of millennials have a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. In his State of the Church in 2016, I think it was, he said that 10% of Christian families read the Bible together. Now, obviously, if we're not reading the manual for discipleship, very difficult to say convincingly that we are discipling our children. And then we look around at some of the things that are going on in the world, like I talked about in the last show. And it it's, you know, it's eye-opening. Obviously, many parents on the other side of that realize, wow, I really was letting somebody else do that for me or hoping, you know, the coach would do that for me or the children's church pastor would do that for me or whatever. But these organizations, though they can work in partnership with us, they don't carry the mantle of authority that we carry as a parent. There is no one else who can parent our children. It is our first responsibility biblically. I think of Titus and Timothy even going so far as to say that we don't have the right to lead other people in a ministry organization if we haven't led our own children well. You know, that they're, we say all the time about our kids, you know, they're our living resume. One of the books I'm reading right now really talks about that communist rule, the first step being to create a division between parents and children. Obviously, this is antithetical to the Ten Commandments that were to honor our mother and father. And so really restoring a biblical worldview. But let's go back to the Barna. So we, you know, we look at the studies, we hear these alarming testimonies from parents all the time who realize, oh my gosh, just like you said, we've been kind of drifting through. Things have been good, but we haven't really been doing the discipling. We haven't been cracking open the Bible and discussing, you know, our whole lives really discipling 
our children. And these families that are, are telling me these testimonies, they didn't realize what was, so, what was most important. They've been so focused on academics or sports or friends that they suddenly realized, wow, we actually haven't been discipling our children. What was that shift like for you? What was some of the fruit that you saw in your home as a result of that? Um, I would say it was kind of painful, actually, because we, um, I've always been, I mean, God captured my heart when I was 15 years old. I started reading the Bible by myself when I was 15, not because anybody told me to, I was not being discipled. God literally put a desire for his word in my heart. And so that's been a rhythm I've had for 20 years. Um, My husband is not so much a reader. And I mean, I think he would be okay with me saying that he wasn't really being the leader when it comes to opening the Bible around the table with our kids. And I think because we went to church and we had, you know, kids church and we would ask our kids, Hey, what'd you guys learn today? They would tell us the story. And so we would kind of, you know, roll our shoulders back and think like, cool, they're good. They know the Bible. Um, And we prayed with them. And so we thought like, well, yeah, they'll be good. good. But again, that nagging something in the Mm. back of my, I was like, is this going to be enough? You know, I, I don't know. Um, And so I would say that it was getting comfortable with the way my husband wanted to do Bible. For me, I'm very um, structured, very type A. I was like, no, if they're not all sitting, staring at us while we read this thing, it's not happening. (laughs) Like to me, that's just not, (laughs) then we're not doing it. Um, And so he liked to jump around. And so he's like, well, today we're in first Kings and then now we're going to read Genesis and then we'll jump to the Psalms. And then we'll, I'm like, this is not, this doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) So, you know, our good God so kindly had to tell me like, Corey, if you want him to lead and you want him to do this, you're going to have to let him do it. Like have that trust and just rally, be supportive and just realize that he's getting comfortable with this too. Our kids, um, they include all kinds of biblical characters in their pretend play now, which is so beautiful. and so that's been, that to me has been like the unexpected blessing is that we're, we actually stumbled into family discipleship before I even knew what it was. Beautiful. <laughs> it's that total give and take of leadership in the home. And, you know, for our listeners that aren't in a church, like our church really does promote a healthy family structure, understands that the church is literally, the nuclear family literally is the basis of a healthy church and a healthy community, healthy state, healthy nation. And so that is where we put a lot of our energy and focus. But for our listeners that don't have that kind of opportunity around them, that you know that that struggle, that vie for control can be especially painful. And so to be able to step back from that and say, you know, you're doing it your way and that is okay, that gives our husbands the freedom to be able to lead and lead well. If we keep trying to lead and we keep, you know, we get all these prayer requests from people all the time, you know, pray for my husband that he'll step up, pray for my, well, if you're still holding the the driver's wheel, you know, the steering wheel in your hand, he's not going to pry it out of you. You have to step back and be able to let that go. So that's so powerful on so many levels. When we think about the, I know Corey, you and I have a lot of the same read researchers, a lot of the same authors that we have loved. And one of the books that I told you about was actually one that somebody told me about 15 years ago and just really rocked my world. And that was Neil Postman's Amusing Mm -hmm. Ourselves to Death. Readers, if you haven't read it, definitely get out there, get that book. And then uh, the newest one that I added to my collection was 
recommended by one of our pastors, and that was Live Not by Lies, a new book by Roger. I think it came out last year, but uh, Manual for Christian Dissidents. <laughs> and uh, so we've been unpacking a whole lot of those, and we'll have to come back and, and talk about some of those books, Corey, because I know we have just so many ideas <laughs> to unpack around those. It'll be a lot of fun. But what are some other books that you've been reading? I do remember some that you've shared, and you've done book studies with the the new um, homeschoolers in our community. I mean, it's just been so, for our readers, for the for the listeners who've been who've been in the homeschool world for a while, when you see someone who is brand new to the movement and they are sharing and discipling other moms, I mean, you can just imagine how heartwarming that is. And that's that's who Corey is. She's <laughs> sharing, she's discipling, she's creating book studies with these other moms to get them hungry for the testimonies that she's seeing in her life. So Corey, what are some of the other books that really resonated with you in this season and how are they shaping your kind of worldview on education? Yeah, I would say the first one that really blew my mind was called The Thomas Jefferson Education. It it opened my mind to what mentorship uh, education actually looks like to have an adult come and sit down with a child and to just coach them through what they needed to learn. Um, it broke down the conveyor belt method of education, which, I mean, honestly, raised, being so raised in public yep, school, I didn't realize there was anything else. Right. Like, what else? Why? How else would you do this except in a large group with a bunch of children? Um, and so that for me was like, oh, that doesn't actually work that well. And then I was able to think back into my own childhood and realize where things had been, you know, they'd kind of dropped off a little yeah. bit. And, you know, I just wished that it had been different. So that was the first one where I, it just changed my whole understanding of the benefits and the depth of home education and how you can really make it whatever you want it to be and really give space for, you know, whatever interests your kids have and to just follow them. And I think I think it was that book that said uh, you don't want to uh, fill the bucket. You don't want to fill your child's yes. mind with education or with Good. content, but you yeah. want to light the fire of learning. That's it. Yeah. And uh, I remember yeah. a mentor actually said that to me in the beginning and I got really angry because I was like, I don't know what that means. That's so <laughs> abstract. And the more I learned, the more I understood that it wasn't yeah. about me deciding what they were going to learn. It was about me wanting to get them excited about learning yeah. and how those are vastly different approaches to, to this whole thing. Yeah. Um. And then I would also say, hold on to your kids, mm -hmm. which has been my One most- One of my favorites. Oh my goodness. Yes. I cried through that book. And I'm not a crier, mm -hmm. but I cried through so that book. Good. Um, because it's really important to think about how you got to where you are. And so it makes you think back on your attachment style mm -hmm. with your own parents and how that's manifested in your parenting relationship. Because if your parenting relationship with your child is disjointed or yes. broken in any so way, good. home education is going to be an uphill battle. But if you can get that attachment healed, it really becomes fun and you can actually enjoy your kids and you're so free to, to enjoy them. That's so good. That's why we say it's educational discipleship because we really are. And we say homeschooling is educating two generations at once. Mm -hmm. You know, we're learning and growing. And those of us like Corey and like me who grew up in public school, you know, when we're reading Apologia science books we're re-educating our brain, things mm -hmm. that we didn't learn growing up. So just so incredibly powerful. And I love in um, the Newfeld and Matei book, the hold, uh, hold on to your kids, the subtitle, why parents need to matter more than peers. And a lot of people in our modern culture are disoriented from history. We And that's a purposeful attempt, obviously, the public mm -hmm. schools to, you know, topple statues and change names of buildings and, and rewrite history so that we don't have an anchoring in our Judeo-Christian value systems as a nation. That's obviously an overt attempt. Walter Ong wrote about that in Orality and Literacy. That's been kind of a an awareness in the academic community for a long time. But it's really, you know, when we look back at how 
how recent that lack of attachment is. In 1960, around 64, a researcher named James Cooley told his research uh, colleagues that he started to see a shift in American culture. And he said, I see the hearts of teens shifting away from their parents. I see that they're starting to care more about what their peers think than their parents think. Mm -hmm. And researchers laughed at him. They said, that's ridiculous. Why would a kid care more about what some friend thinks? We hear that today. We think, wow, uh, that's how so many people process life. Their worldview is that it's normal for children and parents to be at odds with one another, whereas obviously not the biblical worldview whatsoever. And obviously, a lot of this is anchored in the fact that our culture is biblically illiterate. Mm -hmm. When we have conversations with people and they're trying to make decisions or form opinions based around something that's happening in the modern era, they're disconnected from that concept of biblical literacy. Our first you know, the first place we go when we have a decision, the first place we should be thinking through the lens should always be the biblical worldview. So love that book. Such a great book. Hold on to your kids. Newfield and Mate, two French doctors who wrote that book years ago. And it's super powerful. And that's just one of many of the great books we're going to be sharing over the next few episodes. That was such a powerful interview with Corey DiMatteo, new homeschool mom, on how her life has been so radically transformed this year, how their relationships have been realigned, how attachments in the family that she didn't even know were faltering or broken have been realigned through this incredible, miraculous process of parent-led education, as we call it, educational discipleship. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode, or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.